You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Uh, Hopefully you have your Bibles. If you haven't picked up on it yet, it's good to have your Bibles for this series. Uh, If you don't, uh, the blue one is right in front of you in the pews or close to you. Uh, You can use that and open up to uh, Revelation chapter 12. Only one chapter this week as opposed to four last week. And so as you're opening up to Revelation chapter 12, sorry, I had OCD, OCD moment. Jess, these are not straight up. That thank you that I gave to you, we're going to have to rescind that. Uh, But let's pray as you're opening up. Father God, thank you so much uh, for today, Lord. Father, this morning I ask that you'd give us knowledge so that we may be equipped, so that we may have a right understanding of your words, that we may give that right understanding to others, but also help us to learn because we may not think that this chapter deals with our daily lives like today or tomorrow, but it does. And so I pray that you would give us that wisdom. I pray that you'd give me your word this morning, Lord, and ask that you would work in all these ways, Lord God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, It's really good to see you. It's always weird preaching from this location. I like it because I'm right underneath the fan. Uh, But it's also very weird because I'm also closer to you all, and it's just really weird. Uh, But it's good to see you all this morning. Pray that you're doing well. Those of you joining us online, uh, it's great to have you as well. As many of you you might remember, I've told you this in the past, but some of you don't remember. Some of you don't know. Some of you might remember. But whatever the case was, uh, my first job, I worked at Wawa. All right. Now, if you don't know what Wawa is, it's like Turkey Hill and Sheets, but much better. All right. Uh, much better. Right? If you don't agree with me, I'm sorry. Uh, you're wrong. All right. Uh, but Wawa is much better. If you, you ask, well, where did you live to work at a Wawa? I lived in Wilkesbury. There was a Wawa over at Home Depot for many years until they closed. Uh, and that was my first job. And what I got to do, what I was hired for, I was about 15 years of age. And so what I did, uh, I would go in and I would stock the shelves. That's all I had to do. I didn't have to do the register, which was great, uh, fantastic, because I hate working a register. Uh, and then I didn't have to make hoagies all that much because I was 15 and they didn't want me over there. I was fine. So they had me stock the shelves, and then I had to go in and fill the cooler. Uh, you know, the cooler where all the cold stuff is kept, the milk and the sodas and all that. That was my job, and I absolutely loved it. I loved working in the cooler because even when I got to Wegmans, I worked in the cooler and I would work in there for hours at a time. Uh, But one of my favorite things to do at Wawa was I had to, uh, when I filled the cooler, one of the things that I had to do had to fill the soda, right? So I want everybody to picture you're in a convenience store. Can you do that, right? And you have the soda in front of you, right? Well, at Wawa, uh, the bottles hung from the lid and they slid down this groove. It was kind of slanted and it hung down from the lid. And so when you take a soda off, the rest behind would slide down, or at least they were supposed to. Well, my job, I had to fill all the shelves. And with a cooler, you do that from behind, standing in the cooler. And so in order to fill the soda, I had to go in the cooler, and I had to hit each row of the soda for them all to slide down towards the door where the customer would be standing. 
One of the favorite things that I used to do is when a customer, as soon as a customer opened the door, I would hit a row of soda and have all the soda come flying down. Now, it's not supposed to fall off the shelf, but it really scared them because of the way the angles these were at. The customer really couldn't see me. And so they'd be looking and going, and it would freak them out. I loved it. I was 15, don't judge me, all right? You would do the same thing, right? And so what I was doing, I was doing something in a place that was not seen, but it was affecting them. Some found it funny, some got annoyed by it, I laughed at all of it, all right? But I want you to get this out of my story. I was doing something in a place that was not seen, but it was impacting somebody else, right? And with that in your mind, this morning we're getting back into our study uh, through our series, What's Next? And we're moving through the tribulation period, and as we do that, we come to an event. We come to one person, the dragon. And what we're going to see this morning is this, that there's going to be a war in heaven. Now, for some of you, that might be striking. Some of you may have never even heard that a war is going to take place in heaven, and it is. You see, during the tribulation period, things don't just happen here on earth, but things also happen up in heaven. And this war that is going to take place in heaven brings a woe to earth. So a war in heaven brings a woe to earth, as we're going to see this morning. Or you could say it this way, something takes place where we can't see, but impacts mankind in a great way. And so I have three points for you this morning. What has transpired, what will transpire in heaven, and what will transpire on earth. And so with that said, let's get going. What has transpired? Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read them for you because it's not up on the screen. There's a bunch of verses, but I'm going to read it to you all at first, and then we'll, we'll work our way through it. What we read there is this. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And let's just pause there. And you read that and you go... Um, okay, what's the deal with that? Um, no idea that the Bible talks about a dragon trying to eat a child, right? How many of you ever realized that the Bible talks about a dragon trying to eat a child? It's not one of those things. You go, that's in the Bible? Yes, yes. What we have to do here is first and foremost is I have to point this out to you. There's an enormous piece of information that is crucial to what we're looking at this morning, and it's found in verses 1 and 3, and it is the word sign. John goes, I saw a sign twice, a marvelous sign. And so what John is doing, he's telling us, I'm seeing something, it's a sign, it's a symbol, it's a picture. And so he's not actually talking about one specific woman, and he's not actually talking about a dragon. It's just picture, it's imagery, all right? It's a sign, all right? I need you to understand that. And what John tells us here, it's a, it's a sign that a woman is going to give birth, 
And a dragon is going to try to eat this child. And so we have three people. A woman, a dragon, and a child. So who are they? Well, great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's start with the lady. Well, the woman. Who is this woman? Because John tells us that he sees a woman, and remember, this is a sign. This woman is pregnant, and she is about to give birth. But she is clothed with the sun. The moon is at her feet, and she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. So who is this woman? Well, you all want to go to lunch uh, at some point today, so I'm not going to get into the weeds on this. There are so many, it gets absolutely crazy. I'm just going to tell you who she is, all right? Because we can do that because the Bible tells us who this woman is. And to answer who this woman is, we actually have to go back a couple books, about 65 books earlier than the book of Revelation. What I mean by that, the book of Genesis. Genesis actually answers this. Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 to 10. This is Joseph. You know who Joseph is? The one that becomes uh, almost Pharaoh over Egypt? That Joseph, the one that had the multicolored coat? This Joseph, he's speaking. And he's speaking to his dad. He goes, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. That sound a little familiar to you that we just read in Revelation? When Jonathan told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, and listen to how Jonathan's father interprets his dream. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And so what Joseph's dad, Jacob, does, he goes, he interprets the dream. So, so Joseph... You, you think your mother and I and your 11 brothers are going to come down and bow down before you. Because in this dream, dream, Jacob goes, well, the sun is me, your father, the moon is your mother, and the 11 stars are your 11 brothers. Well, the Bible just interpreted Revelation chapter 12 for us and who this woman is. Because if you know your Old Testament, hopefully you know this, Jacob has 12 sons, and they become who? Nation of Israel. Joseph is the 12th star in Revelation 12. He's not in Genesis 37 because he's the one having the dream. Genesis 37 tells us that this woman is a nation of Israel. We also know that by going further, reading further in this chapter, it makes it abundantly clear that this woman is the nation of Israel. It's very clear on that. And this nation is about to give birth to a child. But before she gives birth to a child, a dragon shows up. This huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And you go, what does that all mean? Well, I'm not telling you this morning. All right? Perhaps we'll look at that next week because we're going to see the same language next week. What a picture. Huge red dragon coming to eat your child. What does it mean? Well, I'm going to tell you what it means. And I'm going to tell you who the dragon is. But first, you need to read this. Revelation 12, verse 4. His, that the dragon, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Now, that's an important piece of information. You see, this dragon, he sweeps a third of the angels out of the sky and he flings them to earth. 
And so who is this dragon? And what's up with these angels? Well, if you look down in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 12, it's not on the screen, but we read this. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Huh. The Bible tells us who it is. We don't have to go off making all these fancy, weird stories of I think the dragon's this person. The dragon might be, you know, like the eagles or something like that. You don't have to do that. The Bible tells us the dragon is the devil. It is Satan. Very clear on that. And what Satan does is he sweeps a third of the angels out of heaven, throws them down to earth, and they're with him. You see, this morning you have to understand that Satan has a role and does play a role in what we have been looking at at the tribulation time. He plays a role in all of it, and we need to know what that role is. But the problem with that is this. We really don't know who Satan is because most people do not believe that Satan is real. I'm going to throw a statistic out at you, and you won't believe me, but it's a statistic. It gives you something to think about. Half of the people in this room do not believe that Satan is a real being. Most people, a lot of people, even people who say they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, do not believe that Satan is a real being. They doubt him. They just say that he is a picture or a symbol of evil. And so people who believe that there is a God don't necessarily believe that there is Satan. And the, the great part is people who believe that Satan is real don't always believe that God is real. And so a lot of people doubt the existence of Satan. Well, guess what? Satan is real. He is a real being. And we make three huge mistakes when it comes to Satan. One, we don't think Satan is real. And if you think Satan is false, then you've already lost a battle. Because you will not prepare to fight against an enemy that you don't think is real. But Satan is real. Number two, we give Satan too much power. Satan is not equal to God. Not equal to Him. Satan is a created being. He is not equal to God. Stop giving him that power, that position, that authority, because he does not have it. And it is a mistake that people make all the time that Satan is God's equal, just that he's evil and bad. Not the case. Satan is not as equal to God in power or authority or anything along those lines. But that takes us to our third mistake. We think we go the opposite way, that Satan doesn't have any power. Well, if that is you, let me correct you again. Satan has a lot of power. He doesn't have as much power and authority as God does. But Satan has a lot of power. He's able to do a lot of things that you and I cannot do. So here's the, I, here's the thing, though. Who is he? Who's Satan? Well, I'm not going to get into all of this, but you can read it later on. Ezekiel 28, verses 11 to 19. Those of you that take notes, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 and 19 that whole passage is referring to Satan. Okay, It's going to say it's the king of Tyree, but it's also referring to Satan. And what we learn in that passage is this. Satan is full of wisdom. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that Satan is full of wisdom. 
He is very smart. He is very, very intelligent. Not only this, but from the passage in Ezekiel, we're told that Satan is perfect in beauty. See, a lot of times we picture Satan being this red, ugly, gross, disgusting figure. He's not. The Bible tells us and uses this, these words that Satan is perfect in beauty. So stop thinking that Satan is ugly and such. It's not true. Ezekiel tells us that Satan was a guardian cherub. That he was blameless in all his ways until wickedness was found in him. And you could read that section. It gives you a couple more things. But here we get a great picture of Satan. He is with God. And if you want to use this language, Scripture kind of paints the picture that Satan, Lucifer was his original name, that Lucifer was God's right-hand man, if you would. That if there was the highest-ranking angel underneath God, that Lucifer was him. Because it tells us that he was with God in the garden. Well, what happened to Satan? What happened to get him going to be with God, to have him against God? Well, simply put, Satan rebelled against God. You go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 12. It's still up on the screen here. So his tail swept the third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. You see, what happened then was this. Satan rebelled against God. He tried to overtake the throne, if you would. And it wasn't just Satan that rebelled. The third of the angels rebelled with Satan. They got on his side and tried to overtake heaven, tried to overtake the throne. And that may scare you that a third of the angels are now what we call demons, but I'm not good at math, but if one-third goes to be demons, there's still two-thirds that are angels and outnumber them. And what we see here is this. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 13. These are called the five I-wills of Satan. This tells us the mindset, the attitude of Satan. God tells us this, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. That's referring to Lucifer, son of the dawn. Because you have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount Assembly on utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like the Most High. Those are the five I wills of Satan. That is the attitude, the pride that he had in his heart and in his mind. He goes, I'm going to be God. He goes, I'm going to take the throne. And so what happens is God casts him out. He casts him out. He lost. He lost. And now Satan and a third of his angels have fallen to this earth and they're doing what they do best, causing sin and pain and hurt. But I need you to get something. This is really important. God casted Satan out of heaven, but Satan still has access to heaven. We see that in the book of Job. Satan goes back and forth from heaven to earth. He goes to before God in heaven to accuse you and I of sin and accusations that we have done in our lives. Satan still has access to heaven to this day, and you need to remember that for in a couple moments. So this dragon, Satan, stands in front of the, front of the woman, the nation of Israel, so that he might devour the child the moment it was born. And so we read this in verse 5. 
She, the woman, the nation of Israel, gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. So, we have the nation of Israel. We have Satan. Who do you think the child is? Jesus. How do we know that it's Jesus? Well, let's see. She gives birth to a male child, okay, who will rule all the nations. Well, Jesus is going to rule all the nations. He's going to rule with an iron scepter. Back in their day, iron was the strongest material that they had. And so when they used iron, it meant that it was unbreakable, that it's always going to be. It was a forever kingdom, if you would. And then her child was snatched up to God and to His throne. Does that word snatched up, does it sound like anything we've talked about so far in our series? The rapture. It's the same Greek word. It means caught up. It's snatched up. You see, this refers to the ascension of Jesus after His resurrection. See, after Jesus' resurrection, He's on earth back and forth for about 40 days, and then He ascends back up to heaven. That's what is referred to in verse 5. And so remember, we're looking at what has transpired in this first part. See, in these verses, we have seen the battle between the nation of Israel and Satan for thousands of years as Satan has tried to devour the child, the Messiah, that was going to be born. And I don't have time to unpack this, but I'll give you a couple examples. Back in Exodus, when they tried to kill all the male child, that was Satan trying to devour the child. When Jesus was born and Herod gave the edict to kill all the male boys that were two years and younger, that was Satan trying to kill the Messiah, trying to devour this child. Satan has been for years, thousands of years, trying to destroy the nation of Israel and the line that Jesus was going to come from. Why? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God looks at Satan and goes, the Messiah is going to come and He's going to crush your head. He's going to kill you. And so if somebody goes, I'm going to try to kill you, what are you going to do? You're going to do everything in your power to get them not to be able to do that. And that is what Satan has done throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament when Jesus was born, trying to kill Jesus. So Satan has already rebelled against God He's been thrown to the earth, but he still has access to heaven. He has a third of the angels with him. That's what has happened. That is what has transpired already. So what happens next? Well, I'm glad you asked. Right? What will transpire in heaven? Verses 6 to 12. Okay? I want you to notice verse 6. Verse 6 is a transition period. It says the woman, the nation of Israel, fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. The time between the ascension of Jesus and the midpoint of the tribulation period happens between verses 5 and 6. And verse 6 tells us that this woman will flee into the desert where God will take care of her for 1,260 days. Joe, you're the math wizard last... If you weren't here last week, Joe is a math wizard last week. Joe, how many years is 1,260 days? I put Joe on the spot. Yeah, three and a half. That was a good guess. I know you didn't figure that out this week. Okay. Three and a half years. So 1,260 days is three and a half years. Well, what did we see last week? 
that the tribulation period, a seven-year period of time, is split in half. Two, three-and-a-half-year period of time. And at a midpoint, the midpoint marks it. There's things that take place at the midpoint that are important, which we'll talk about next week. So where we pick up here in verse 6 going on is at the midpoint of the tribulation period. And we're going to hang out in this midpoint, if you would, for the rest of this morning and next week. And I hope you get that. So we're about three and a half years into that seven-year period of time. And last week we saw all the things that were going to take place during that first part. But while all that is going on, there's going to be things taking place up in heaven as well. And that nobody could see. And what takes place in heaven is this. Verses 7 through 9. John tells us this. And there was war in heaven. Pause on that. Some of you may never even realize that. You think, well, heaven is where God is at. Something like that can't transpire up there in heaven. God tells us. He goes, war is going, there's going to be war in heaven. Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, that is the dragon, was not strong enough. And they, that is the dragon and his angels, lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so this is what is going to transpire. This is what is going to happen. So we've gone from what has happened to what is going to happen. And what is going to happen is a war is going to break out. It's going to break out in heaven. So let's, hop, let's talk about this. War is usually triggered by an event, right? Why did America get in the World War II? Pearl Harbor, right? We got attacked, and so then we got in the war. It triggered us getting into the war. You know this. Just wait until November around election time, and you're sitting around a table, and you go, hey, how about you vote for so-and-so? And the next thing you know, tables are flipped over. Somebody's getting hit with a chair. You know, all these things like that. Something always triggers a war. So what triggers this war in heaven? I don't know. I can't tell you. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I will give you one possibility that intrigues me, and I give it to you just as an FYI. Some people think that the rapture of the church triggers this war. And here's why. If you were to study Scripture, you'll find that one of Satan's names is the Prince of the Air. Well, the rapture of the church going to deal with the air. Jesus is going to come in the clouds. He's going to hover in the clouds. And those who are alive in Christ are going to meet Jesus in the clouds. And so you have this picture of Jesus doing stuff in the clouds, people coming through the clouds to meet Jesus, and Satan is the prince of the air. And he could be like, well, I don't want you going through my land. I'm, going to, I'm just going to start fighting. Just a possibility, but we're not sure. But then you ask, well, who's fighting? If it's a war, who's going to be fighting in it? Well, we're told Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. So there's a fight. Between the good angels, the Yankees, the bad angels, the Red Sox. All right? That was the fight. That is the battle. All right? Now, here's the thing. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, so I'm only going to give you this little bit of Greek. If you were to read these verses in the Greek, it will tell you that Michael and his angels had to fight back against Satan. And it gives us the picture that Satan is the one that started this war that he was the first one to initiate an attack, and so Michael and the angels had to respond 
to fight. And so what Satan is going to do is he's going to try for a second time to overtake God and heaven. Well, the next question is, when does this take place? Well, once again, we're not sure. But it could start at the rapture or the start of the tribulation period and that the battle takes some time. Nothing out of the normal. In Daniel, we see that Michael battled for three weeks before he got to Daniel to answer his prayers. Or it starts at the middle of the tribulation period and, and it's over in a day or so. But it is what happens from this battle that we need to see and understand. We read that Satan was not strong enough and he lost his place in heaven. And so it happens. He and his angels were hurled down to the earth. Did you get the outcome of this battle? Satan loses. He's hurled to the earth and he lost his place in heaven. What does that mean? It means this, that when this battle takes place and it's all over, Satan loses. And he loses his place in heaven. You go, Pastor, you said that like five times. Why are you saying it so much? Well, because I want you to get this. I told you after the first battle that Satan lost, but he still had access to heaven. Right? You remember me telling you that? Okay. After this battle, he loses his place. What does that mean? God no longer allows Satan into heaven. Satan will lose his access into heaven. He won't be able to go back and forth from the earth to heaven and from heaven to earth. He will be on earth full time. So what happens? So what happens from this battle? Well, if you read verses 10 to 12, you see two things. Heaven rejoices. Now, who can blame heaven for rejoicing when Satan gets kicked out of heaven and he's not allowed to come back? I would be rejoicing, and they're like, this is fantastic. Satan's not coming back. But how many of you ever had something good happen for somebody else, but it meant bad news for you? It's me, right? These things always happen. Things are good for other people because it's good for them. That backfires, you know, more work for me or something along those lines. The same thing. Heaven is rejoicing, but I want you to see what we read in verse 12. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. How many of you have ever seen a caged animal that was angry in the cage? And just ripped up everything. Also known as a two-year-old in a room that they can't get out of. Right? Everything goes crazy. Fury. God sends Satan down to this earth. And he's like a caged animal on this earth because now he cannot leave this earth. And he's filled with fury. And he knows his time is short. He has three and a half years and he knows that from this point on. He has about three and a half years before he's all locked up. And I'll explain that to you when we get to it. His time's short and he's angry. Have you ever met somebody who's angry and they only had a little bit of time? Things don't go well. So we've seen what has happened. 
We've seen what's going to transpire in heaven. A war is going to break out. Satan's going to lose that war. He and his angels are going to be cast to this earth, and they're not going to be able to leave this earth. And Satan is mad. So what transpires on earth? Well, verses 13 to 17. If you think, let me ask you this. How many think earth is bad now? Some of you didn't raise your hand, all right? So we may have to talk, all right? You think Satan has done a number on this earth? I think so. He's only been part-time here. And look at the work that he's done. Imagine what he's going to do when he's here full-time. Where he's not in heaven, standing before the throne of God, accusing people of their sin and their rebellion. But that he's here. You see, this instance... Satan losing this battle, being thrown to the earth, sets the earth up for the second half of the tribulation period. It is those last three and a half years. It is those last three and a half years of the tribulation period that the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. I mentioned that to you last week. The Bible calls the last three and a half years of the tribulation period the Great Tribulation Period. Think back to the Depression in 1929. Was it the Depression or was it the Great Depression? The Great Depression. Why? Because great adds the intensity to it. And that is what is going to take place. Because I want you to think about this. The seven-year period that we know as the Tribulation period is God sending His wrath and His punishment upon the earth. The last three and a half years is God doing that, but now you have Satan losing his mind and his temper, and he's venting out all his anger upon the earth. So you have God's wrath and Satan's wrath for three and a half years. Does that sound like fun? Nope, not at all. And that's why it's called the Great Tribulation. And what Satan is going to do is he's going to turn up the heat, if you will, from this point on. And we'll talk more about that next week. But Satan is going to do three things I want you to see over the course of this last three and a half years in the tribulation period. Number one is this. Satan is going to deceive the whole world. If you look again with me in verse 9, it says this, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. To Satan, Satan through the Antichrist is going to lead the whole world astray. Now when I say the whole world, that doesn't mean those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus during this period of time, because they're going to be sealed by God. The elect cannot be led astray. The scripture tells us that. But those who do not put their faith and their trust in Jesus, guess what? Satan is going to deceive them. And he's going to lead them astray. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, do you think there's going to be mass chaos when billions of people leave this earth in the rapture? you think there's going to be chaos? We lost toilet paper. And people didn't know what to do with themselves. All right? Imagine billions of people leave. Imagine the chaos. Imagine what's going on. Well, you need somebody to stand up and reassure you, right? Well, guess what the Antichrist does? Satan, through the Antichrist, is going to deceive people. Oh, the rapture is just something, and comes up with something. The way he talks, the way he speaks, through the Antichrist, Satan is going to deceive the whole world, and he's going to lead them astray to the point where they will come together to fight against Jesus. 
He will get people together to come and fight against Jesus. And so one of the things Satan is going to do is he's going to lead people astray. The whole world he's going to lead astray. And he's going to deceive them. But that's not all he's going to do. Verses 13 to 16 says this. It's not up on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And once again, you go, what what does that all mean? Well, it means this, and it's the second thing that the dragon is going to do. He's going to realize that he can't leave this earth anymore. And so what he's going to do is he's going to pursue the woman who is the nation of Israel. He's not going to pursue her to take her out to dinner. He's going to pursue her, the nation of Israel, literally to hunt her down. Have you ever seen a hunter going out into the woods to kill something? That's exactly what Satan is going to do with the nation of Israel. For that last three and a half years, he's going to hunt down the Jewish people to kill them. That's what he's going to do. But as we saw in verse 6, God is going to protect the nation. The nation is going to fly to a place where she'll be taken care of. And you see, on the wings of a great eagle, this is not talking about America. People go, where is America in the Bible? It's not. But it talks about an eagle. And what is the bird of America? It's, an eagle. it's not America. All right? It's not America. We don't know exactly what that means. What we do know is that God is going to protect the nation of Israel for a time, times, and half a time. Joe, how long is that? Oh, I think I finally stumped him. Ready? Time, ready? Time is one year. Times is plural. So how many years do you think that is? Two. If time is one year and half a time, so what is half of a year? Half of a year. So you have one year plus two years is three plus a half is three and a half. Three and a half years. God is going to protect the nation of Israel for those three and a half years. The Antichrist is going to do something to spew out water. It might be a flood while the nation of Israel is running to the mountains. It might be a flood and God does something to open up the earth to swallow the water. Most likely it speaks more to a military force going after them like a flood. And once again, God does something to protect them. We don't know exactly sure, but we know Israel is running into the mountains because God has a place prepared to protect them for three and a half years. And so you hear that and go, oh, the nation of Israel will be okay. No, they won't. Going off some of what the book of Zechariah says, some scholars say that two-thirds of the Jewish population will be killed by the Antichrist during that period of time. Two-thirds. I hate to say it this way, but I will so that you get the picture. And I say it with all respect. 
you know what Hitler did in World War II with the Jewish people? That is what the devil is going to do with the nation of Israel in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. The only difference is when Satan does it, it's going to be far greater. Millions and millions more Jewish people will die. It'll be far greater in death than what Hitler did in World War II. Satan is going to vent all his anger out on the earth and target number one is going to be the nation of Israel. But that's not it. The third thing is this. It's found in verse 17. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who hold to the testimony of Jesus? Those who put their faith and their trust in Him. The church is gone, but I told you last week, people are still going to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so what Satan is going to do? Israel has fled to the mountains and God is protecting them. Well, what is he going to do with his anger and his frustration? Well, he's going to go after those people that have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He gets mad that he can't attack Israel, so what is he going to do? He's going to do the next best thing. He's going to attack Christians. And he's going to do the same thing to them. He's going to hunt them down and kill them. Not many ways to say this, but thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and perhaps millions of people that know Jesus, come to know Jesus during this last period of time, will be put to death by Satan because of their love and their faith and their devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what's going to happen. That's what's next. Now do you see why the war in heaven brings a woe to earth? He's going to deceive the whole world. He's going to pursue and murder Jewish people and then he's going to pursue and murder Christians left and right. That's what he's going to do. Satan will be stuck here to vent out all his anger and his rage and he will do so. So here's my question. What do we do with this? Today, what do we do with it tomorrow on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Well, you tell people about Jesus. You share the gospel with them so that they could believe in Jesus and they don't have to worry about being here for it. But you need to realize this. You know that Satan stands before God and accuses you even now? He accuses you. And you know what Satan also does? He comes and he accuses you to your own face. What I mean by that is this. When you sit there going, oh man, God, God doesn't love me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. I, can't, I sinned. I can't believe I did that. Everything is over with. I'm worthless. I'm a loser. I can't do any... Uh, it's, all that negative talk, that's Satan. It comes from Satan. And his demons, of course. He's coming against you. So what do we do with that? on a daily basis. Well, we got to go back to verse 11, chapter 12. His they, these are the people that are in heaven rejoicing, overcame him, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You can overcome Satan today and tomorrow and every single day of the week with the accusations that he brings against you to God, the accusations that he brings against you to your face. And you do that by the blood of the Lamb. And what do we mean by that? What does God mean by that? It means this. 
that yes, you know what? You did sin. You did mess up. You did rebel against God. Satan's right on that because we've all done that. But you know what the blood of the Lamb means? You're washed clean. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. It's gone. And so what Jesus does is because John tells us in 1 John that Jesus is our advocate. And so when Satan stands before God and accuses you of your sin, Jesus comes up as your defense attorney and goes, God, you know what? He's right. James did do all those things. James did say that. But, but you know what, Dad? Do you remember when I died in the place of James? And my blood washed him clean? The accusations are true, but I've already paid the penalty. And the father goes, the judge goes, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Case dismissed. And when Satan comes against you with accusations that you're not good enough, that you've sinned too much, that you've sinned too greatly, that you're worthless, you stand back and go, no, I'm not because of the blood of the Lamb. Because Jesus thought thought that I was valuable enough, worthy enough to die in my place for me shows that He loves me. And that His blood has wiped me clean for all eternity. And yes, I did mess up, but I brought it back to God in confession and repentance and forgiveness. And I'm walking in newness of life. And Jesus has forgiven me. He's paid me that price. And you overcome Satan by that. By the blood of the Lamb. But you also overcome Satan by the word of your testimony. Your testimony. Each and every one of you that are in Christ, you have a testimony. You have a story of who you were, what you were like, and what you're doing before you met Jesus. And Jesus, He comes in and He changes a life. He always changes a person's life. And He gives you a story, a testimony. You go, that's what I was like. But now Jesus has changed me and He's done this work in me. And Satan, you come and you say all these things about me. And you know what? You're right. But look at the work that God has done in my life. I know He's real. I know He's working. I'm not going to listen to you because I've seen the hand of God work in my life all the time. And when you do that, you go back to the cross and you go back to the work of God in your life. Satan has no, nothing over you. Because you go, saying Jesus is just knocked you out of the game. You don't have anything. And that's what some of you need to do because all those accusations and all those negative talk, they're crippling you. And you've got to go back to the cross. And you've got to go back to Jesus. You've got to go back to the testimony how Christ has changed your life. And you see how God has worked in your life. And you go, Satan, you're right. But God's doing a work. And I'm just going to keep following Him and trusting Him. And he's going to take care of it. And when you do those things, you overcome Satan. You overcome Satan. That's why heaven was so happy. He's gone. He's gone. So, what happens next? Rapture of the church. First three and a half years of the tribulation period. A war in heaven that brings a war, a woe to the earth. But who's the main guy on earth during all of this? Well, the Bible calls him the beast. Well, who's the beast? Well, you have to join us next week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for all you are. Father, I pray that you would help us to overcome Satan in our daily lives by your victory, by the work that you've done on the cross and through the empty grave, Jesus, and by the word of our testimony and the word that is your word. I pray that you'd work in us and through us like this, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.